Chapter Thirty Five of Ruth. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Chapter Thirty Five of Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Out of Darkness into Light. The third night after this was to be the crisis, the turning point between life and death. Mr. Davis came again to pass it by the bedside of the sufferer. Ruth was there, constant and still, intent upon watching the symptoms and acting according to them in obedience to Mr. Davis's directions. She had never left the room. Every sense had been strained in watching. Every power of thought or judgment had been kept on the full stretch. Now that Mr. Davis came and took her place— and that the room was quiet for the night, she became oppressed with heaviness, which yet did not tend to sleep. She could not remember the present time or where she was. All times of her earliest youth, the days of her childhood, were in her memory with a minuteness and fullness of detail which was miserable, for all along she felt that she had no real grasp on the scenes that were passing through her mind that somehow they were long gone by and gone for ever. And yet she could not remember who she was now, nor where she was, and whether she had now any interests in life to take the place of those which she was conscious had passed away, although their remembrance filled her mind with painful acuteness. Her head lay on her arms, and they rested on the table. Every now and then she opened her eyes, and saw the large room, handsomely furnished with articles that were each one incongruous with the other, as if bought at sales. She saw the flickering nightlight, she heard the ticking of the watch, and the two breathings, each going on at a separate rate, one hurried, abruptly stopping, and then panting violently, as if to make up for lost time, and the other slow, steady, and regular as if the breather was asleep. But this supposition was contradicted by an occasional repressed sound of yawning. The sky through the uncurtained window looked dark and black. Would this night never have an end? Had the sun gone down for ever, and would the world at last awaken to a general sense of everlasting night? Then she felt as if she ought to get up and go and see how the troubled sleeper in yonder bed was struggling through his illness. But she could not remember who the sleeper was, and she shrunk from seeing some phantom face on the pillow, such as now began to haunt the dark corners of the room, and look at her, gibbering and mowing as they looked. So she covered her face again, and sank into a whirling stupor of sense and feeling. By and by she heard her fellow-watcher stirring, and a dull wonder stole over her as to what he was doing, but the heavy languor pressed her down and kept her still. At last she heard the words, Come here, and listlessly obeyed the command. She had to steady herself in the rocking chamber before she could walk to the bed by which Mr. Davis stood, but the effort to do so roused her and though conscious of an oppressive headache, she viewed with sudden and clear vision all the circumstances of her present position. Mr. Davis was near the head of the bed, holding the night-lamp high, 
and shading it with his hand that it might not disturb the sick person who lay with his face towards them in feeble exhaustion but with every sign that the violence of the fever had left him it so happened that the rays of the lamp fell bright and full upon ruth's countenance as she stood with her crimson lips parted with the hurrying breath and the fever flush brilliant on her cheeks her eyes were wide open and their pupils distended she looked on the invalid in silence and hardly understood why mr davis had summoned her there don't you see the change he is better the crisis is past but she did not speak her looks were riveted on his softly unclosing eyes which met hers as they opened languidly she could not stir or speak she was held fast by that gaze of his in which a faint recognition dawned and grew to strength he murmured some words they strained their sense to hear he repeated them even lower than before but this time they caught what he was saying where are the water-lilies where are the lilies in her hair mr davis drew ruth away he is still rambling said he but the fever has left him the gray dawn was now filling the room with its cold light was it that made ruth's cheek so deadly pale could that call out the wild entreaty of her look as if imploring help against some cruel foe that held her fast and was wrestling with her spirit of life she held mr davis's arm if she had let it go she would have fallen take me home she said and fainted dead away mr benson carried her out of the chamber and sent the groom to keep watch by his master he ordered a fly to convey her to mr benson's and lifted her in when it came for she was still half unconscious it was he who carried her upstairs to her room where miss benson and sally undressed and laid her in her bed he awaited their proceedings in mr benson's study when mr benson came in mr davis said don't blame me don't add to my self-reproach i have killed her i was a cruel f fool to let her go don't speak to me it may not be so bad said mr benson himself needing comfort in that shock she may recover she surely will recover i believe she will no no she won't but bye she shall if i can save her mr davis looked defiantly at mr benson as if he were fate i tell you she shall recover or else i am a murderer what business had i to take her to nurse him he was cut short by sally's entrance and announcement that ruth was now prepared to see him from that time forward mr davis devoted all his leisure his skill his energy to save her he called on the rival surgeon to beg him to undertake the management of mr dunn's recovery saying with his usual self-mockery i could not answer it to mr cranworth if i had brought his opponent round you know when i had had such a fine opportunity in my power now with your patience and general radical interest it will be rather a feather in your cap for he may want a good deal of care yet though he is getting on famously so rapidly in fact that it's a strong temptation to me to throw him back a relapse you know 
the other surgeon bowed gravely apparently taking mr davis in earnest but certainly very glad of the job thus opportunely thrown in his way in spite of mr davis's real and deep anxiety about ruth he could not help chuckling over his rival's literal interpretation of all he had said to be sure what fools men are i don't know why one should watch and strive to keep them in the world i have given this fellow something to talk about confidently to all his patients i wonder how much stronger a dose the man would have swallowed i must begin to take care of my practice for that lad yonder well a day well a day what was this sick fine gentleman sent here for that she should run a chance of her life for him or why was he sent into the world at all for that matter indeed however much mr davis might labour with his professional skill however much they might all watch and pray and weep it was but too evident that ruth home must go and take her wages poor poor ruth it might be that utterly exhausted by watching and nursing first in the hospital and then by the bedside of her former lover the power of her constitution was worn out or it might be her gentle pliant sweetness but she displayed no outrage or discord even in her delirium there she lay in the attic room in which her baby had been born her watch over him kept her confession to him made and now she was stretched on the bed in utter helplessness softly gazing at vacancy with her open unconscious eyes from which all depth of their meaning had fled and all they told of was of a sweet childlike insanity within the watchers could not touch her with their sympathy or come near her dim world so mutely but looking at each other from time to time with tearful eyes they took a poor comfort from the one evident fact that though lost and gone astray she was happy and at peace they had never heard her sing indeed the simple art which her mother had taught her had died with her early joyousness at that dear mother's death but now she sang continually very slow and low she went from one childish ditty to another without let or pause keeping a strange sort of time with her pretty fingers as they closed and unclosed themselves upon the counterpane she never looked at any one with the slightest glimpse of memory or intelligence in her face no not even leonard her strength faded day by day but she knew it not her sweet lips were parted to sing even after the breath and the power to do so had left her and her fingers fell idly on the bed two days she lingered thus all but gone from them and yet still there they stood around her bedside not speaking or sighing or moaning they were too much awed by the exquisite peacefulness of her look for that suddenly she opened wide her eyes and gazed intently forwards as if she saw some happy vision which called out a lovely rapturous breathless smile they held their very breaths i see the light coming said she the light is coming she said and raising herself slowly she stretched out her arms and then fell back very still for evermore they did not speak 
Mr. Davis was the first to utter a word. "'It is over,' said he. "'She is dead.' Out rang through the room the cry of Leonard. "'Mother! Mother! Mother! You have not left me alone! You will not leave me alone! You are not dead! Mother! Mother!' They had pent in his agony of apprehension till then, that no wail of her child might disturb her an ineffable calm. But now there was a cry, heard through the house, of one refusing to be comforted. "'Mother! Mother!' But Ruth lay dead. End of chapter 35